Welcome to Arrows on Air, presented by Tomorrow's Air. I'm Christina Beckman, and this is a show where we meet artists, travelers, and scientists from all over the world to talk about art, travel, and climate action. Good afternoon, friends. We're here today with Walker Cahal, an illustrator and teacher from Portland, Oregon. This is our podcast about art, travel, and going carbon negative. My name's Christina Beckman. I'm the founder of Tomorrow's Air, which is a collective of travelers removing carbon from the atmosphere through direct air capture. One of the ways that we're going to help publicize and educate and inspire people about carbon removal is through art such as what Walker does. And Walker is our first artist for air. Walker, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how we met. I know how I met you, but tell me how you met me. Sure. So I met you uh, on, a, on a phone call. We haven't actually gotten to physically meet yet, but uh, Sean uh, Philbrick introduced me to you. Um, I did some work for the Adventure Travel Trade Association. Um, and uh, I know Sean because I did a logo design for a a documentary about rivers in Argentina for a friend of his. Um, and uh, so sort of this connection of uh, outdoor adventure, creative people. And it was really exciting to uh, meet you and to be part of this uh, new challenge. And um, yeah. Right on. I think um, what I love about how the Tomorrow's Air community is coming together is that it's all these sort of um, serendipitous relationships that seem to be supportive and able to move to move in the same direction in support of climate action. And so it just um, continually strikes me how people in our immediate orbit have relationships with people like you who are um, so supportive to our cause. So uh, that was kind of what I was looking for there was how our personal connections are, we're sort of one step removed from everybody that that we need to help bring climate action more to life. Uh, I want to talk mostly in this conversation actually about your art, because um, as our first, as our first artist for air, you, you know, Walker really brought, you, you gave us our identity with the birds and that blue banner and those arrows. And I wonder if you could just say a little bit about, um, your creative process, like when you, you know, when somebody comes to you with a project like we did, which was help us make carbon removal accessible to a broader audience. And I think we, you know, talked to you through the vision of the Tomorrow's Air Collective. And then you went off and, and made some great pieces and just, you know, found us so perfectly. So I'm curious a little bit about your creative process. Sure. Uh, well, certainly this sort of stuff is very much in my wheelhouse. Uh, I sort of bill myself as an environmental illustration. I, I decided to that environmentalism is my thing. I'm planting my flag. This is the thing that I'm important about. If I'm not working on solving climate change, it's probably not worth doing. So uh, I've been doing um, environmental illustrations for the last 10 years. Um, 
I uh, really find it uh, really rewarding to do work that is about positive change in the world uh, and highlighting people, highlighting uh, adventures, highlighting places that are under threat from climate change, who are acting to make climate change a thing of the past. Um, and it's really inspiring to be working with people who are also really passionate about changing the world and making a, you know, a carbon neutral place. Um, uh, so part of my process is, um, involves, you know, I really love collaborating with people. Uh, essentially what design is to me is it's a, it's a puzzle. It's a challenge. Um, you came to me with a challenge. Your challenge was how do we make carbon neutral, uh, carbon negativity, a, uh, thing that is shareable and fun and, uh, can pull people in. And, uh, I wanted to bring a lot of metaphor to the piece and we talked about air and lightness and what goes in the air and what comes out of the air and why air is important. And I sort of was able to brainstorm and think about different things, leaves. And when you, when you're with yourself in your studio, do you just like, I know when I'm trying to think of things, I, I look out the window and I free associate, you know, I was having a conversation with Alice who we work with and, when she's trying to think of things, she does research. And I was like, I just look out the window and see what floats in. And I like when you, what do you do when you sit down at your desk? Do you look out the window or do you, what's the first thing you do? How do you get it flowing? The first thing I do is I like go on Reddit and hate myself because I can't start a project. But uh, the second thing I do when I'm able to start a project is I, uh, I, I mean, I used to love sketching. So sketching to me is uh, a really like integral part of um, creating that uh, space to be creative. And so I like to I like to sketch outside. I mean, that's a really big important thing for me is we have this lovely garden and I go out there and I uh, sketch outside and I come up with my ideas based around that. Um, and I need to have a time and a space to be creative. Uh, I find that I work really well from 10 in the morning till about one in the afternoon. And then in the afternoon, I'm sort of useless. And so I sort of shift my day to go grocery shopping or whatever. And then in the evening, I'm also very creative. And so I can sort of harness the energy of the earlier morning sort of sketching session and turn it into something uh, like a digital illustration that is more polished in the afternoon or in the evening. Um, and so I start and think and then pause and then restart later because a lot of times when I'm grocery shopping, I'm also thinking about that idea and how I can create that. And, or if I'm driving, driving is a perfect time to think about new ideas and ways, ways to, uh, connect disparate images. Mm -hmm. It sort of never leaves you when you have an idea. It's kind of always rolling around. I realized also, I maybe we should also back up and sort of think about for people who haven't been able to see your work um, at waltronic.net, how I was trying to describe this. I mean, how would you describe your work? Because I think it's, well, yeah, you describe it. I fumble around when I try to, to convey it. Sure. It's it's hard to talk about what 
uh, art is and what creativity is. Um, I like to think of myself, um, I utilize uh, vibrant colors, uh, whimsical imagery, um, imagery uh, of evolving environment, climate, uh, plants, animals. Um, I like to think that I... But yeah, I like detail a lot. Detail is um, really important to me. I, I really pride myself on creating technically uh, accurate illustrations that uh, are really uh, very nuanced and have research involved in them and uh, texture and line work and all sorts of different things. Um, I pride myself on being able to sort of uh, apply many different styles to a piece. And so um, a lot of styles that I sort of have been inspired by, really inspired by uh, Japanese woodblock printing, um, vintage, you know, movie posters, uh, WP era, um, travel posters. Um, I really like uh, science fiction and classic science fiction uh, imagery. Um, I kind of pull from a lot of different places and it's really satisfying for me because essentially the way that I like to think about it is that I have a quiver of arrows and every time I have a problem that I need to solve, I have a different arrow that can solve the problem. Um, and I like thinking about it that way. I mean, I think that's probably what, um, although I don't have the vocabulary to describe it all the way you just did, but I think that probably what's what connected with us is kind of this eclectic style that you've got. Uh, I love the line um, cuts and I'm trying, I'm looking at them right now and there's, you know, there's a couple that have, it seems like there's a series that sort of went in a, you know, it's like a circle, like the outer form is a circle. And then what's contained within that circle, you've gone a lot of different directions with that. Sure. Are you referring to the, the snake design? Yes. Yeah, so that was a really cool project. Um, that was called, uh, that was for a, what is called a Waze Goose. And a Waze Goose is a, uh, it's essentially a printmaker party. And um, so there's a Waze Goose that's held every year in Portland. How do you spell uh, that? Oh, gosh. Uh like Waze Goose, like one. Oh, Waze. W A W A Y Z G O O S E. Yeah, I found Waze it. Goose. So, what happens at a Waze Goose party? Lots of artists show up. Lots of artists show up. Uh, what we did was we did steamroller prints. And so, what a steamroller print is, you take a line of block. So, it's uh, essentially um, the same material that linoleum flooring is made of, but a little bit softer. Uh, you take a sort of blade and you carve away your image and then you ink your image uh, and then you place paper over it and then you run it over with a steamroller. So the image that you're referring to is this snake. It's in a field of leaves. Uh, it is entwined in itself and it is sort of floating in this white space. And I did probably six uh, sort of iterations of that uh, digitally um, to sort of find my right, the correct image and the correct sort of placement of what I was hoping to create. Uh, and then I had a three foot by three foot slab of linoleum. Um, and it took me uh, 
25 hours to carve probably. Um, super, super worth it. I had a great time doing it. Um, and then, yeah, so we took it, I uh, had a team of four helping me, uh, and we had an hour to print and we were able to print 15, uh, prints of that. But so it's sort of this formula one, you know, pit crew kind of thing where, you know, someone inks and someone takes the paper and someone places it down and someone's driving the steamroller. It was, uh, quite fun. Um, and it's really cool because, uh, it's open to the public. And all these people are walking around and they see this giant steamroller sort of backing up and beep, beep, beep. And, you know, people, it gets their attention. And then there's this moment and it's like a magic trick where I pull back this, uh, this pad and then I peel the paper up and there's sort of this like sticky sound of, of things being pulled apart. And then you hold it up and it's magic because this image suddenly appears, this, this pit crew has gone to work and they ran it over and then you peel it up and this image sort of just appears. Um, and it's that stark black and white contrast is really, um, it's really eye catching in a lot of ways. I just Googled ways goose and I think it might be my new favorite word. A it's a good word. Given by a master printer to his workmen each year on or about St. Bartholomew's day. Um, well, that's cool. I, I think um, you mentioned before that you also like to travel and I wonder, so one of the things, you know, we have such a odd juxtaposition of themes with tomorrow's air, um, our travel and carbon removal. And I think oddly enough, they do all come together and support each other. Uh, And I hope the series of podcasts that we're embarking on will sort of illuminate that as we go forward. Um, I mean, I see the connection. And intrinsically, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, well, you're our people, Walker. Okay, so <laughs> more there. Well, I mean, so how do art, travel, and climate change connect? Well, we travel to these places because we want to experience culture and we want to see a different thing than what we're used to seeing, uh, and we want to meet new people and we want to hear new languages and want to eat new food and we want to uh, see beautiful things. And, you know, sometimes those are mountains and sometimes those are trees, but they're also temples. They're, you know, mosques, they're, uh, you know, grave sites. Uh, so these elements, these museums, these mosques, these, uh, uh, grave sites, they have a lot of power to them. And, uh, we get excited about that and we get influenced by that. And those we create ideas. We create art, we create television, and it's a sort of cyclical element of go to a place, experience a culture, take that culture and apply that to your worldview. Uh, and then climate change is connected to this is because we're traveling to these places. We're getting on airplanes, we're flying to the place, we're getting on the bus, we're going to the place, and it, it, it utilizes a resource and it also makes it so that potentially the the thing that we're visiting is being threatened because we're visiting it. And so that connection feels very intrinsic to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I appreciate that because I think a lot of these, um, the people who work in these fields often um, become so specialized that they're siloed. And I know that, you know, since, since we started thinking a lot about how 
travel can be so, so good for the world and so good for communities. And we can have conservation as a consequence of our travels. Travel often funds conservation efforts. Yet at the same time, um, the act of, of moving around, um, I mean, our entire life right now is sort of trapped in this system um, that's dependent on fossil fuels. And we have a, it's more than just travel. It's, you know, when you, you, you take your life on the road, you're still having your life, your fossil fuel-based life. So recognizing that travel could be great, but also undercut the thing that it depends upon, the natural resources, was this eye-opening moment for us. And then, and then we figured out that there is something we can do. We know that we can reduce our emissions, and we have learned that we have to clean up emissions that are already stored in the atmosphere. There's enough carbon dioxide stored in the atmosphere, which is a finite resource, which I am embarrassed to say I didn't grasp until, you know, the past four years, maybe, um, that the atmosphere can be full. I didn't really get that. And we have to not only reduce, but we also have to clean up what's, what's in the atmosphere. And we do have tools to do that. And, um, one of the very direct and tangible ways we can do that right now is through direct air capture. And that, it turns out, is something that is very hard to explain. And so, you know, once we realize that um, there's an opportunity to, if, if we can get enough people interested in and understanding the importance of and supporting carbon removal, carbon cleanup, um, we can help bring the price of it down. We can help scale it. You know, there's so much work that needs to be done between now and 2050 to get us to net zero that um, getting getting to that scale we need, we have to take those first steps now. And so thinking about that was like, well, we're going to have to involve the creative community in that effort because creators are the ones who inspire and delight and kind of keep you coming back. And I think that's the big opportunity here is to sort of um, knit those topics together. So tell me about the birds. Tell me about the tomorrow's air birds. Like what I, I showed that to somebody and they said, Oh, I love that. And they wanted to look, they noticed that the birds were some different shapes and they said, what kind of birds are those? I said, I have no idea. But I don't even know if you know, Walker, are they just bird-shaped? They are just bird-shaped. Uh, I didn't do as much sort of, you know, I, I looked at a bunch of photos and they're sort of based on uh, uh, snowy egrets and then they're based on geese. And uh, there's, you know, those there's the photos, there's those videos of, you know, the plains of uh, sub-Saharan Africa with the, you know, the water and the flocks of herons and seagulls and flamingos. And it's like that stuff so fascinating to me when you watch that on planet Earth. And that was sort of what I was trying to be inspired by is that, is that sense of the V that gets created, that sort of the tip of the spear, the, the element of the, the bird sort of finding their leader and, and, and going in the, in, on their migration. Um, that's the imagery that I was trying to evoke with that. Yeah, you got it. I also love, you know, the um, 
I feel like there's like these, the, the lines, the little dot dashed lines. And so looking at those is like, as they get further and spaced apart, it, it feels like you're pushing into space a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, an element of that was that I wanted to echo the symmetry of the birds. And then also there's an element of, um, those are reminiscent of weather pattern, uh, uh, tables, uh, like wind pattern, wind current tables. Um, and, um, that sort of a representation of how air moves around the world. And, um, yeah, so I sort of was trying to combine those two elements together. Um, and yeah, I think it's fairly successful. Yeah. We love it. Um, tell me, I mean, obviously nobody's traveling right now all that much, but what's your where would you like to go when we start moving around again? Uh, well, we have two trips that we have sort of tentatively planned. We are going to uh, get in our car and we're going to go on a road trip and we are going to bring our dog and we're going to go to California and see the ocean. And uh, then we also are hoping to go to Ireland Uh at some point in time in 2020 and we're feeling optimistic. We're also feeling realistic about the situation and we're not going to do anything that we, that isn't prudent. Um, so, but you know, we are really excited about that idea. Um, my friend, uh, has this phrase and it really resonates with me and it's become a life philosophy for both of us. Uh, and the phrase is, uh, always have a trip planned. And for us, uh, he's my friend. He's, you know, I've known him for 20 years. Um, and, you know, if we always have a trip planned, it's always something to look forward to. It's always something to get excited about. It's the reason you're saving money. It's the reason that you're you know, working so hard is to go to this place to check out this thing. Uh, and it can be a small trip, it can be a big trip. Um, but that act of knowing that you have something to look forward to is something that really drives me. I love that. I, um, I actually, unintentionally, but I think we do that also always have a trip plan. And that might be part of what's funny about this moment is not knowing if you can plan one. We had a trip planned was going to take my son to Kenya. Um, and I still, it's still looming out there. It's just funny to not the, the uncertainty of the end point around COVID. I think that's probably what has a lot of people going bananas. Um, what, so Walker, I feel like I want to ask you a little bit about what it's like to be a teacher like, what's your favorite thing of being a teacher and what are your students like? And if you think about, is there any of that that you pull from your sort of what you know about teaching that might help us as we're thinking about being educators in a way or the, I don't know, the bearers of news about, about carbon cleanup through various means such as direct air capture? Like, what does the teacher in you say when you think about this monumental effort so one of my teaching philosophies is that learning should be fun and uh i think that people don't want to see hear about doom and gloom uh 
it's got its place and it's important and it certainly can galvanize people. But I think people, I know I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for tangible solutions. And so if we can educate people in a way about this new technology that is exciting, that is sort of fun, that gives them something to work for, or they can join in tomorrow's air and they can actively be offsetting their credits, uh, their travel credits uh, with carbon capture. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a tangible thing that someone can do to help solve this problem. Um, and so I think coming at this challenge with a voice of optimism a voice of education and a voice of uh, essentially that it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. We can sort of do this in a way that's fun. I think that is a really important way of thinking about it. Um, another element of sort of my teaching philosophy is that it's really important to try different things. Uh, if, if the first solution is not the right solution, then you need to keep sort of chugging along and finding that right solution. And that's how you cultivate good design. You, uh, you iterate, you, you sketch, you make a prototype, you look at it from lots of angles, you come back to it, you reiterate, you come back and you reflush it out and you make it bigger and better. And so every iteration of every um, solution that we come up for climate change, we need to be building on those things. And it's also a multifaceted approach to climate change, right? It's not just, uh, it's not just carbon capture, it's reducing uh, impact across everything. It's about uh, making everything more efficient. It's about uh, toning down our consumer culture. It's about, uh, planting trees. It's about uh, thinking about, you know, instead of flying to a business meeting, you use Zoom instead. And I think an element of the pandemic is really interesting because we're seeing a lot of these uh, different challenges crop up because of this, but we're also finding really good solutions. And these solutions can carry over to the climate change crisis of, uh, how we reorganize our society around this. And it really is a huge opportunity. I was in a conference, this um, air miners conference on Wednesday, and that is just what came through every session was that this is an incredible opportunity for us to rethink business in so many ways. And people are doing that. It's how, you know, the lectures on technology and how people are, you know, the, the last lecture of the day was this woman, Lisa Dyson, from a company called Caverdi, and they make um, proteins from the air. And she was like, what if you could reconceptualize meat? And instead of thinking of meat in terms of an animal, what if you thought about it in terms of proteins? And what if, you know, there's a, a thousand different ways that people are sort of turning the tables on on our status quo that I think climate change does represent. I mean, it is a, an incredible problem and it's also exciting. It's, you know, it's birthing a generation of entrepreneurs and creators. That's really um, inspiring. Totally. And 
I, you know, that's one thing and going back to being a teacher is, uh, you asked me what my favorite part of being a teacher is. And it, my favorite part is really seeing, uh, the next group of people get excited about the world and like start having dreams and, and being able to say, Hey, like you're going to, like your dream is going to happen. And we are going to live in a world that is, uh, filled with dreams and, uh, we are going to change this and make this better so that the next group of people, the next generation can come and they can experience dreams and they can grow and our whole civilization can grow. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt a little bit. Uh, a bunch of industries are going to go away. People are going to get unemployed. But if we can like figure out a way to train people on these new technologies and make a better society that feels more optimistic, more uh, fair, uh, and more egalitarian, uh, while also working to create a, a sustainable climate, because, you know, none of this matters if we're, we're all dead. And like, if we lose our environment, we lose our civilization. Yeah, I feel like I... I mean, sort of rambling on, but I, I have this, I'm not one of these people that feels like change is bad. And I know the earth is always changing and has always been changing and is always moving and shifting. And so when I think about preserving our atmosphere for future generations, I'm not hoping that nothing changes on earth. I know that some species will die and new species will crop up and I know that will happen. I just would like for there to continue to be human human ingenuity on earth. You know, I'd like to think of my children's children being able to be happy on earth. Uh, it's a, anyway, that's a, I think that's a thorny philosophical question, you know, cause some people are like, well, change is good, you know, get over it. And so it's not that, not that we're not for change. I think it's wanting to see that happen in a, in a way that the quality of life for people and animals in that future world is still nice. I, um, Walker, I think we should close here. I have a closing question, which may be a hard one. And I was thinking that if I was asked this question, it would be very hard for me, but I am curious to know, um, who, what was your favorite band or song in high school? And, and what is your favorite song or type of music or band now? Because generally, I think we change so much from high school to our adult life. Well, maybe my husband hasn't. But um, anyway, I'm curious. Tell me what you loved in high school music wise and what you love now. Sure. Totally. I love being put into a little container. Uh, that's perfect. Uh, I, I, I Honestly, I was like a pop punk kind of dude. I really liked uh, like, I don't know, some 41 and like bad religion and where no effects and all. Uh, I went to high school in California, so I certainly was uh, surrounded by that. Um, I, it was really funny. I have to say, my two best friends were like, I think they were the original hipsters, and they they just were always picking up new music, and it was really exciting to uh, see a bunch of new music come in. Where you know we were we were listening to. Bands like uh, Ratatat and um, 
like the strokes and things like that kind of well before they became more prominent as musicians. And so like, that was really exciting. Uh, and then what do I listen to now? Um, honestly, I have a, sort of weird relationship with music um i love music i think music is important it is one of those tools that i use to be creative uh but i don't have the bandwidth to learn about music anymore or find new music and so i really utilize spotify a lot um and essentially what i listen to right now almost exclusively is just lo-fi uh sort of electronic beats and music um which helps me sort of fit into that creative groove so that I can um, create that flow. Um, and it, it, it's great. It's super fun. It also sort of is like, I feel always a little bit remiss because I don't really know what's going on in that world of pop culture. And it's sort of a certain element where like, I don't know what people are talking about and I feel a little bit I find uh, made it different for everybody because I used to like look through CDs and decide which one to put on and and now I just see what Spotify searching. I discovered new things through Spotify though, but it is a different it is totally different. Uh I do I do love Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash right is uh, essentially he's one of my heroes. I really like him a lot and I like his sort of ethos and his way of uh his anti-authoritarianism and uh i I, in a lot of ways i think johnny cash is a punk and i think that that resonates with me in a lot of ways cool well walker thank you so much for taking the time to be creative with us we love working with you and um it's a delight to have you on our podcast i hope you have a good rest of your day Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here, Christina. And thank you so much for uh, including me in this amazing endeavor. So thank you. Thank you.